Well, because he lives, let's go before our living God in prayer. Father, we come to you as always because we need you. Without you, we won't be able to hear and benefit from your word at all. We ask, God, that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit today. Fill me to be able to preach your word faithfully to what you've revealed. Fill everyone here to be able to hear your word with profit and life change. We ask for your help because we're needy for you. Bless us today with the truth of your word. We say this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the first sermon in our series on intentional discipleship just a few weeks ago was on the topic of older or more mature women discipling other younger or less mature women and girls from Titus chapter 2. And I encourage the men, if you remember back then, not to check out in that sermon, but to pay attention to this very important but oftentimes neglected ministry of our church. We should care about that. And hopefully you did heed that and, and paid attention. But I also challenged us as men to pay attention because men are also called to this discipleship ministry as well. But that, this discipleship ministry among men, is a little bit different than the ladies. Why? Because we're men. God called us to grow as men, as Christian men, and to help other men to grow as well. To help others follow Jesus. Or to do spiritual good to other Christians so that they might grow, as we saw from Mark Dever's helpful definition from our last sermon. So, the last time we addressed women's discipleship, and now, this morning, we're going to address men's discipleship, and our series will continue on, Lord willing, and move on in the future to a sermon on children's discipleship as well, as you see on the screen. But is it right to have gender-specific sermons like this in our church? I mean, we live in a culture, don't we, that rejects all categories of God-given gender. In fact, the very idea that men and women are different at all is really offensive in our day. But as I preached in the Genesis series This past year, God created good gender and good marriage according to his, what? Good purposes. So we need to listen to God, not the culture, but God and his word. And as we saw in Titus chapter 2, that women are to disciple other women towards godly biblical womanhood not according to the ways of the culture, actually standing up against the culture, for that matter. In a similar way today, 
we'll see that the scriptures reveal that men are to disciple other men toward godly, biblical manhood. Not according to the ways of the culture, but against it. So men, your mission, listen up, should you choose to accept it, is to prioritize being faithful, godly, Christian men. This is true for the young men in the room as well. And to help other, even younger men or less mature Christian men, no matter their age, even if they're your peers or even if they're older than you, to help other men grow to be more like Jesus. That's your mission. That is your task. That is your calling. Will you accept it? But what is a godly Christian man? And what in the world is biblical manhood? Our culture displays manly men as what? Brawlers. Ready to throw down and beat up as many people as they can. And the more people you could beat up, the manly you are. You know that stereotypes abound in these ways. But our view of manhood should be determined by the Bible and not the world. So we're going to look to the Bible. And on that note, turn with me to the Bible, to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verses 13 to 14 for our mission and charge as men. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 13 says this. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Let all, or be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Do you see that? In case anyone was unsure about this whole area of gender, God's word is clear. Men and women are equal and yet different. Equal image bearers with equal dignity and value, but different. I can tell you with three daughters and three sons, boys and girls, men and women, have differences. God created good differences, good gender, God created. Hence, Paul can charge men right here to what? Act like men. Act like men. He doesn't want them to act like women or children, but what? Men. So my goal this morning is to take us all on a journey now through six different areas of a man's life that he is to act as a godly, biblical man. And this verse right here that you see on the screen or in your Bibles will frame all of these points as well as other scripture passages. And as you see right there in your Bibles, this passage teaches that men are to act like men, being watchful, alert, intentional, strong, to stand firm in the faith that they profess. And to do it all in love. You see, the stereotypes are destroyed in a passage like this, aren't they? Men are not out of control, violent, 
rampaging brawlers, no. But men are still men. And they're called to be strong and to protect and to be careful and watchful, to protect the weak, to be strong and vigilant, watchful and alert and doctrinally sound in the faith. All of this in love, not brutish or domineering, grunting or Not that grunting's wrong, especially if you're on the football field. But if you're grunting in your communication with people, right, like that's a stereotype, right? That's a stereotype. Not not that. Not that raging violence for violence's sake, but godly, strong, mature, and loving. Men are to be strong, to protect the vulnerable, to lead, to guard against evil. That is what God has called us to as men. This leads us now to our first characteristic of a godly man. And I'm going to say the same thing to the ladies in the room that I said to the men last time. Pay attention. Don't check out now just because this is a sermon to the guys. You should want to esteem and encourage biblical manhood. And for those of you who are younger maybe and who are unmarried looking at some younger ladies in the room who are unmarried. I want you to see what a biblical man is to be looking for a Christian husband. Hopefully it could be encouraging in all these different ways, even though this is a sermon for the guys. So our first characteristic, number one, godly character. Turn with me in your Bibles again to Titus 2. And we're going to see verses 1 and 2 now. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Paul telling Titus this. Verse 2. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in the faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Notice here that right before the passage that we looked at last time on women's discipleship, which was Titus 2, 3 through 5, right before that, Paul addresses Titus and tells him to teach the word and sound doctrine, the sound doctrine of older men acting like godly, Christian, mature men, like biblical men. I hope you could see in this passage that Paul basically says, act like men, just like he did in in Titus chapter 2. I mean, in Titus chapter 2, just like he did in 1 Corinthians 16 that we saw before. And just as women are to lead gospel-centered women's discipleship and that they must be mature, godly women, the men who lead this ministry and our church to other men must be godly and mature Christian men as well. Men, if you are not sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, and sound in the faith, in love, and steadfastness, you are not a godly, biblical man. And you're not going to be able to lead anyone or be a model to anyone in this church or your family. This all, I hope you can see, starts with your conversion. So the question is, are you saved to begin with? Men, have you been transformed by Christ? Are you born again? 
Have you had your sins washed away? <clears throat> Do you know the gospel, man? If you don't know the gospel and how to articulate the gospel of Jesus Christ, who died for sinners and who rose three days later to transform sinners like you, if you don't know that and believe that and, 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 and hold that dear to who you are, then you can't lead this kind of ministry. Because, men, you must experience and know and believe the gospel in order to lead in any kind of way as a Christian. And it all starts here, and it makes itself evident in your character, how you live. So first, are you a believer? And then, not only are you saved, but are you growing to act more and more like Jesus every single day? Are you growing as a believer? Are you a growing Christian? Because a biblical man is a Christ-like growing Christian. I mean, 1 Corinthians 16 and Titus 2, both we saw point to men who are strong and standing firm in the faith. If you're not growing, you're not standing firm in the faith. You don't even know the faith if you're not growing, if you're not converted. So are you strong in the faith, guys? Do you know what you believe? Do you pour into studying and knowing the Bible and biblical doctrine? Do you pay attention to the preaching of the word to transform your life? If not, you're never going to be able to lead a ministry to other men in this way. You will need to first grow in actually caring about God's word and learning and living sound Doctrine To know why you believe what you believe. To defend it. To be able to articulate even and teach it. And to live it out before others. You aren't sound in the faith simply because you show up to church on Sundays. I'll just point out the obvious here. If, now it's good and important for us to go to church. It's so important. But if you just come to church and you never learn and apply the word of God into your own life and actually discuss it with anybody else and model the transformation of the word of God in your life to anybody else? What good is that? That's not biblical manhood. So I charge you men, if you are lacking in your growth as a believer, your knowledge of God's word and if your character and witness in this world is suspect, I want you to be encouraged now, today, to grow in these things and in these ways. It is not, it is never too late to grow as a biblical man. Start now, young people, start now. This leads us now to our second point and number two. Godly work ethic. Turn with me in your Bibles now to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28. The word of God says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
We also see in Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Godly Christian men, you see, are not only saved and growing Christians like we saw in our first characteristic, not only growing in spiritual and biblical knowledge and maturity, but I hope that you have noticed in your Bibles and in your knowledge of the Scriptures that maturity doesn't mean that godly men spend all of their time in the church building. No. Because the Bible doesn't tell us to spend all of our time in the church building, does it? Being sound in the faith, you see, means knowing what the Bible calls us to in the world. Knowing how to live out the light of the biblical truth. As we just saw in Genesis, God calls men and women to be productive and work as image bearers of God. You're reflecting God. You see, God himself worked in the most productive and brilliant work week in all of history, didn't he? By creating the world in six days and then resting. And now he's providentially sustaining and ruling all things. Remember, he doesn't just wind up the clock of the world and take off. No, he is active and working and providential and involved. Men, we are to work. We spend the most of our time in the workplace. We just do. And our work is to be motivated by God's work. And to be motivated by God's command to us to work. The goodness of work is established even before the fall. These passages were before the fall. Now, the fall we know in Genesis 3 makes work harder. So all the more reason for us to be motivated rightly as Christians with a biblical vision of work because work can be hard, right? We don't want to work like atheists, purposeless, selfish, aimless. No, we work as Christian men taking dominion who are not only to labor hard in our work, but to also do our work with what? Excellence. Do you see the work of your hands as excellent and good, men? Do you take pride in your work as an image bearer of God, reflecting him? Men, do you provide for your family by hard work and toil? You see, godly men care about their work as a witness to the world a witness to God. And godly men put resolve and effort into their work. And they want to do their work with excellence. Do you want to be a godly Christian man? Go to work. And go to work to make a difference in the lives of your coworkers and community and do good to others by blessing them in your work, with your presence, with what you do. The Bible commends, you see, godly hard work. The Bible also condemns lazy slackers, doesn't it? 
In multiple places, in the Proverbs and the Epistles, the letters, lazy men are called out as sinful men who are worse than what? Unbelievers. Don't be a lazy man. Don't put in slacker kind of work, men. If you do, you will not be a model of biblical manhood to others in your life, whether they're your kids or whether they're other members of this church or children of members in this church. And young men, other men in this church, wherever you're at, if you see a guy like that who doesn't work hard and prioritize his work, I don't want you to esteem a person like that. Sometimes sitcoms and movies could just make lazy slacker type men or boys seem to be really, really cool and really, really good. The Bible doesn't think that lazy slacker type Men are really cool and good. Actually, the Bible condemns that kind of thing. Don't esteem them, young men. Don't esteem them, older men. I want us all to esteem and value hardworking models of older men and to act like them. Not like the lazy person who skirts his responsibility. Don't follow men who want to cut corners to always just take it easy. And who see work as a drag, simply a means to an end, who don't see anything in their work. It's an unbiblical view. But rather, us to be and to follow hardworking, godly men who are motivated by a biblical vision of God and his calling of them. And to work hard with excellence. This leads us now to our third characteristic of a godly man. And number three, godly Husbands, turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians 5 and verse 25 and 26. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word of God. With the word. Now, Not all men are called to be married. Jesus wasn't married, and he was the manliest and godliest of men there ever was. But many of us are called to be married. Or will one day be called to be married. And if you have a wife, you're called to be married. And you are called to not only be married, as if just having the certificate and Officially being married before the state is all there is to marriage. No, you're called to prioritize your marriage. You can't be a godly man and neglect your your marriage. Young men, if you see a man not prioritizing his wife, then you look to another man for a mentor. You look to another model because a man who does not value his marriage is a foolish man and is not a godly man. Many macho men spend all their time at work and never prioritize and give time and attention to their wives. They may be able to bench press 400 pounds or deadlift a truck and literally beat up anyone who comes across their path And maybe they're making loads of cash, but if they neglect their spouse and prioritize other things to the detriment of their marriage, they are not a godly biblical picture of manhood that you should seek to follow. Young men, hear me. 
You want to see a man's man, a godly man? Sure, we all esteem strength and courage and being brave. We esteem someone who can protect his wife and children and other vulnerable people in harm's way. Sure, a manly man, even a Christian godly man, will be strong and brave and will not, as one pastor put it, he will not be nudging his wife out of the bed in the middle of the night when a strange noise comes from the kitchen or from the front door while he hides under the covers. That is not biblical manhood. Let me just be clear. A man will be strong, brave, and protect and defend the vulnerable. But that same man must prioritize rightly his wife to love her and sacrifice her for her, even as Jesus sacrificed his life for the church, as we just saw. Jesus laid his life down for us. He laid his life down for the church. He took a beating for us. He died for us. Are you, men, are you husbands sacrificing for your wives? Are you loving her? And are you, as the passage says, washing her by the water of the word? Hear this, Christian men. If you are a godly man, you will prioritize your wife's spiritual growth. The flip side of that is true. Godly wives will prioritize also the growth of their husbands and Esteem that and want that as well. Men, you will pray for her. You'll read scripture with her, discuss theology with her, discuss the sermons with her. You'll go to church with her, not because she makes you, but because you want to lead her in ways that will be good for her. You see, a godly man leads his wife spiritually. But a man who neglects his wife in these ways, I don't care if he can rip a phone book in two. He is not a godly biblical man. He's just a boy. Prioritize your wives, men. God has given you one wife to lead and love by sacrificing and valuing her and leading her. Godly leadership and headship is not some scary, weird thing that the culture tries to bash and go against. No, it's Christ-like sacrifice and care for your wife. There's nothing controversy about Jesus laying his life down for the church. We all love that. We all need that. There's nothing controversial about a husband laying his life down and leading and taking headship and responsibility in his home for his wife and for his children. Godly leadership and headship is Christ-like sacrifice and care. Not macho neglect and demanding selfishness, but a life that gives life to others, that leads your marriage. Men, don't wait for your wife to initiate prayer and Bible study and church involvement. You lead. Don't wait for your wife to reconcile in a conflict. You lead and seek reconciliation and repentance. Well, you say, my wife is 95% in the wrong. You don't understand, Daniel. She was really wrong. 
Men, lead in repentance for the 5% that you perceived in your own wrongness, as one pastor helpfully pointed out. Initiate the reconciliation in your relationship with your wife. Why? Because godly men are Christ-like husbands. Are you a godly Christ-like husband prioritizing and leading your wife? This leads us now to the next characteristic of godly men and number four, godly fathers. Let's look in our Bibles to Ephesians 6 and verse 4. Men, you might want to underline and star and jot this down. Ephesians 6 verse 4 says this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now why does Paul single out fathers here in this parental instruction? That doesn't seem fair. Paul, take it easy on us. You see, he doesn't say mothers don't provoke your children to anger here. While it's true that moms should heed this verse and not provoke their kids either, it's telling, isn't it, that Paul singles dads out here. Why is this? Because husbands and fathers are the head or leaders in their home, according to the Bible. Dads set the tone of the home, both in how he interacts with his wife and how he interacts with his children. Another passage in 1 Peter, 2 Peter, uh, exhorts husbands to live with their lives in an understanding way. If husbands are harsh with their wives or their children, the home will be destroyed. It will not be a place of flourishing. The home will be rather a prison because of you men, if that's you. The sad truth is that many homes are prisons because of domineering, stereotypical, angry men who are not acting like godly husbands and fathers. Paul knew the tendency, and he called it out. Men, dads, Husbands, you set the tone of your home. Is your home full of joy and fun and adventure and encouragement and growth and blessing? Or is everyone walking around on eggshells because of you? Is it always tense? Are you always yelling and scolding and being a grump? Godly men lead joyful homes with an atmosphere of the gospel of love and joy and happiness. The gospel breathes life into a home. It doesn't stifle the home. Also, it's your job, dads, men, not to just wash your wives with the word, but to make sure that you're leading your wives to grow spiritually, but also intentionally being engaged with your children with the word of God as well. So men don't check out in this way. The husband is like the pastor or shepherd of his home. You ever thought about it that way? You may have never thought about it that way. 
But the passage here in Ephesians 6 says that it is your job, dads, to bring your kids up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. More will be said on this topic in our next sermon on children's discipleship. But I don't care if you find men who are the most rough and rugged in this town in Gallatin. If they don't lead their children with the word of God and prayer and biblical discipline, biblical correction and teaching and training, they are not a picture of biblical manhood at all, but they're a picture of godly unbelief. And to be clear here, a home of joy doesn't mean a home without correction and discipline at all. But biblical, encouraging, and an instructing environment, disciplining the children come forth from the womb, as the Proverbs say, as little fools. They're foolish. They need correction. So we need to give correction. But do you do that correction in an instructing, godly, God-glorifying way to help turn our kids away from the sin that they're so inclined to and towards the loving God who forgives sinners, towards the gospel who's an answer to sinner? Are you getting at your children's heart? Showing and revealing gospel realities to them. More on that next time. But my encouragement to you is that you might lead your home in these ways. And if we're going to do that, men, we must be growing ourselves, right? And continuing to grow every day. And I'm sensitive to the fact that we have a lot of responsibility on our shoulders to lead our homes in so many ways. So I encourage you that, that I want you to make it your top priority and your main goal to lead your wives in these ways and then evangelize and disciple your children in the home. That's right, it's a top priority, number one priority. Everything else comes after these things, your, even your work or hobbies and possessions. It all comes after the fact of you being a godly leadership leader in your home. Make it your top priority. If you're struggling and convicted in these ways, repent and turn towards just simply praying with your wife and kids, reading a little scripture. It doesn't have to be a three-hour seminar and theology. It could be a five-minute encouraging moment at the dinner table to where you lead your home and the atmosphere of your home. It's my encouragement to you. This leads us now to our fifth point, and number five. Godly. Churchmen, look with me now at Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 for this. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. This is a key passage on church, the local church, our church. This is key for us, verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes, verse 15 rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. 
from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part, part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's interesting, isn't it? That this key passage on the church reveals that maturity in the church pictures what? Manhood. And immaturity as what? Childhood. So a spiritually healthy church equals manhood, metaphorically speaking. An unhealthy church equals childhood, childishness, metaphorically speaking. And it's important to notice here and realize that each member of the church is instrumental in the building up of the body of Christ. We cannot be missing certain gifts and Christians in the church and and expect to grow as a church. Just won't do. Sadly, many churches, the least involved and active and attending, are usually the men. This shouldn't be the case. Our church here will not grow and be built up in love and working properly, as the text says, if all our members are not working together in their respective gifts and personalities on the same mission together. This includes our men. We will be unhealthy if we do not have men in our church stepping up and manning up by being intentionally involved in our church to use their unique gifts in the masculine ways that God has made them to both serve and lead and to be committed to the ministry of our church. We need you, men. We need all of you to be a healthy church. Now, I'm so thankful that many men in our church are so godly and and in various ways use their gifts to bless us. Without you, oh, we wouldn't grow. And we need all of our men and women and all believers here to be working together to grow as a church. But though I'm so thankful for all of you men, I want to encourage us all the more to prioritize growth in these areas in our lives and prioritize our local church and ministry that's going on here. I want to encourage us as well. Hear this, if a man cares for his wife and children but is not involved in the church, he's not a godly Christian man. He's no different than a secular atheist because even atheists care for their children and wife. They won't do it as Christians. But the point is here that this is a part of biblical manhood being involved in our church. God hasn't given us the option to just neglect the gathering together in our churches And he hasn't just given us the option to just kind of punt on that, ignore that in the Christian life. This is true for all of us. This whole idea of discipleship means that we need to grow ourselves so that we can help others grow. You don't help others grow if you're not involved in the lives of other people, other Christians in the local church. So I hope that you can all see that biblical manhood entails that we need the regular weekly gathering and growing and maturing in the life of the church and that we should prioritize our local church gatherings where we sing God's word, we pray together, we hear God's word, we see God's word even in in the ordinances. We need to prioritize that. 
And I hope you can see that it's also through our church involvement and engagement in each other's lives that we can help other Christian men grow, help to seek to see others mature in the Christian life. This leads us quite naturally to our sixth and final point, godly disciplers. This is where the gospel men's discipleship comes in. And when you find a biblical man's man who is a believer and who is growing in Christian maturity and obediently working hard to provide for his family and doing excellent work for the good of his neighbor and who loves the wife who God has given him if he's married and who leads his home and trains up his children in the ways of the Lord if he has children and who is involved and faithfully engaged as a church member, not just showing up, but showing up to serve and lead and use his gifts in the very various ways that God has given him unique to him, to hear the word, to live out the word. If that is true of you as a man or other men in our church, then let me encourage you, you have a godly man's man to follow right there in that man. And I know we have them in our church. Praise God for that. You found a mentor in a man like that. You found a coach. You found a discipler. You have found a godly man, a Christian man. But sadly, many faithful men like this described have not caught the vision of discipleship and are not looking to seek and help other men to encourage them by building them up and doing spiritual good to them. They haven't caught it yet. And men... If it's not on your radar up to this point, I want you to repent of that now and put it on your radar. I want you to accept the mission. Accept your calling. I want you to start now in this, men. It's not too late. Because godly men, if it's not on his radar now, will have it on his radar after seeing the biblical necessity of being a coach and mentor and discipler to help Others, and he will want to see others grow. Hear this if a professing Christian, someone says they're Christian, doesn't care about that kind of thing and doesn't care about seeing from Scripture his mission as a Christian, there's something off in a man like that. He's not a mature man, but, but acting like an immature, selfish child. I want you to catch a vision of it. There's nothing better as a Christian to help and encourage and see other people grow in your home as fathers in the church with other people. There's nothing better. Michael uh, just preached last week, 19-year-old young man. I had the privilege of being able to be a, a mentor to a young man like that, even when he was younger in California as his pastor, and continue to invest in a young man's life to see him built up in the faith, to be able to answer questions and to encourage him on in the Christian faith. Invest in people that way, guys. I want you to get a glimpse of that. That's valuable. It's more valuable than a lot of things that you see is really, really valuable now. I want you to see it. It's biblical. It's scriptural. It's manly to care about these things. A biblical Christian man will want to grow themselves 
to help others grow as well. It's in our DNA as Christians once we're saved. Now, these men will all be different and have different interests and personalities. Some will be more into the stereotypical masculine things like hunting and fishing and killing and skinning animals for fun and food. Praise God for that. Others will be interested in sports and competition and praise God for that. Others will have a variety of interests and hobbies and skills and like reading and writing and praise God for them all. It's not about stereotypes. You say, all those things listed, there's many gals in this church as well that like those things as well. It's not about stereotypes. It's about who you are, where you are, who God has made you, and praise God for all the men and for who they are. You know, see, this, this is a premise of our brotherhood ministry, the man's ministry, the men's ministry that we have. We've been wanting to do things as guys that guys sometimes like to do, like, I don't know, fishing or shooting and things of that nature, to get together and to do some of those things. There's nothing wrong with that. Because here's the thing, men, you lead gospel centers men's discipleship. Exactly how God has made you. And if you don't, someone else will lead the discipleship. But it won't be Christian. If it's from the culture and the world of unbelievers who's seeking to disciple them, just like the ladies, they will be discipled in the wrong way, off the cliff, not towards the Bible. So men, take up this challenge, this goal, this mission to seek and do spiritual good to others in a variety of creative ways. Get creative with this. For in Titus 2, after initially challenging older men and and older women to live as models for others to follow, Paul addresses the younger men, and let's just say this, the younger men, they need a lot of help. They need a lot of help. They need coaches, mentors, disciplers. They need biological fathers, and they need spiritual fathers. They need you, men. For it says in Titus 2 and verse 6, it says, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled, Show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity and dignity. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 15, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. We need to be models and examples and spiritual fathers to the younger men who are inclined to the exact opposite of self-control. They're inclined to full-fledged pursuits of their bodily, fleshly passions, and they need godly, mature, biblical manhood displayed by you. They need your help. They need you to come alongside them and say, look, I know the struggles that you're going through because I've gone through those struggles myself and I've learned how to fight and repent and turn from sin in these ways. So follow me as I follow Christ. They need you men in these ways. Men here at FBC Gallatin, I charge you to invest in other men in this church, whether they're younger than you or the same age, or even older. If you see a man in this church who's struggling in spiritual maturity, not living or thinking in ways, becoming of a Christian, 
or even those who can use a little help and nudging along the way. And who doesn't need that? We all need that. This is why I said discipleship's a two-way street. You met Michael, young man, half my age, about. And I'm edified and encouraged and discipled by that young man as well. I sat here right there hearing him preach the word, and I was built up in the faith. I had conversations back to when I was a pastor in California to this day in which I was mentoring and discipling and being a pastor and and leader to him. But he was encouraging me to follow Jesus as well. This is a two-way street, and it's encouraging for us, and we all need this help in the Christian life. If you see men in that situation, then you see men who need mentors and coaches and help living the Christian life. Be a spiritual father to them. Be a mentor to them. Be a coach. Be a discipler. And you don't have to stop being a man to be a faithful Christian in our church. Some churches have made a church a place that men feel out of place. Not here at FBC. And like I said, we should regularly be gathering to worship, but we also scatter to live our lives outside the walls of this church as well the rest of the week. So live your life and do even manly, masculine things or whatever it is that you like to do as guys in masculine ways, the way that God has made you, and do things together even, spend some time, shoot some things together, or catch something together, or go watch a game together or go farming together, or play sports and compete together, or read a good book and, or the Bible together, come to church and discuss the Bible in Sunday schools and worship and in-between services together and involved in other ministries of our church together, or do a little bit of it all together. And we can be doing all these things in God-glorifying ways together. So act like men. Not the stereotypical man, harsh and brutal to others, but act like Christian men, strong, faithful, being watchful and guarding and protecting and loving, and help others to act like Christian men as well. Because men, you lead gospel-centered men's discipleship at our church. So get going on your mission. Father, we thank you for what your word reveals to men and women alike and to all of us, whatever our stage and whatever our situation in life. Thank you for encouraging us in the truths of your word. Thank you for giving us a vision when the world points us in all kinds of crazy and chaotic ways. Thank you for giving us a vision and model here in your word. Help us all live and seek to grow to live in light of your word. We say this in Christ's name, amen. For our response time, I'm going to do a little something different this week. I'm going to 